Hey, thank you to Helix for sponsoring this podcast. Adam has had his Helix mattress for almost a year now, and he's loving it. It's it's actually hard to get him up. In fact, he won't stop talking about it. You'll understand what we mean when he goes into detail. Thank you for the detail, Adam, later on the episode. But for now, we want to tell our listeners about a special deal going on. Our Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and... As if that's not enough, two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet, and I'll bet it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. (sighs) Adam. Yes, Bonnie. What you got? You know, I heard this quote from Tiger Woods today. I thought it was really great. He was saying how hard it's been to get through this time with his shattered leg and that his dad had told him something that got him through hard times. And it was take it meal by meal, meal by meal. Yeah. And why do you bring that up right now, Bonnie? Well, we're a show that transmits knowledge and I think it's a good thing to use when you're in a stressful situation. Do you think this is a good time for that? Oh, maybe not. This is usually the good luck Adam time, and then I have to get all my energy up. I shouldn't be thinking about lunch. Okay. You know, if you took it meal by meal, you wouldn't have to worry about me saying, good luck, Adam. God damn it, Bonnie. (laughs) Coming to you live from our houses in Los Angeles, California, it's Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, your comedy field guide to life. Tonight... Billie Jean is not my lover. She's just a girl who helped fundamentally change our society for the better. Yes, tonight (laughs) we've got tennis legend and cultural icon Billie Jean King on the program. What else is there to say? I could tell you that we're starting a new book in our bookie, bookie, book club. Sure, I could mention that we've got a new installment of Mailbag, Captain Crinkle edition. But even the captain would acknowledge that this show will forever after be known as podcast, Billie Jean King edition. I'm Adam Felber, your umpire, perched high in my chair and justly adjudicating what is a conversational fault while trying to maintain an air of genteel professionalism. And now, please welcome the woman who routinely whacks things out of bounds and then charges at me screaming, no, you're out of bounds. This whole court is out of bounds. It's Paula Poundstone. Hey, you guys. Welcome, Paula. Why, thank you so much. And... Thanks to tonight's house band, nobody, Rajnar Vajra from Massachusetts on the electric guitar. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter. Yes. Wow. I, th- I think um, we follow each other on Twitter, me and Rajnar, actually. <laughs> What's new, Paula? Adam, I am kicking myself for not thinking of this in time for Christmas. But you know how I'm always plugging merchandise from my website shop at the end of the show? And it irks our listener, Heidi. She's written in to complain about it, but I do it anyway. Yep. What if, hold on to your hats, my friends. What if I sold Nobody Listens to Paula Poutonstone plush toys? 
<laughs> Whoa. Wouldn't that be great? A Captain Crinkle plush toy, maybe with accessories, like a couch with candy under the cushions, uh, or, or a whiteboard that says, hang hooks for keys. Uh, we could have an Adam Felber plush toy with an I'm President Pro Tempora shirt and a gavel, or maybe a calendar listing which episodes he's on. No, but that could be good. Okay. I guess. A yeah. Tony Anita Hall plush toy with a smartphone glued to her hand, always Googling. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or maybe a rowboat. I think it's genius. What would be on the Paula Poundstone plush toy? I don't know. Maybe a clockenspiel? And a dog. A dog with a ball. Yeah, that's true. She could just have a muddy tennis ball, a muddy, <laughs> spitty tennis ball stuck yeah. to her shirt. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. If any of you nobodies out there have a connection to somebody who designs and fabricates plush toys, that would be a great step in that direction, I think. Wouldn't that be a great thing to have, I think? Uh, I yeah. think it would go like hotcakes. I can imagine a, a, a small child cuddling her uh, Captain Crinkle plush toy. I think uh, Captain Crinkle should have a, a somewhat fanciful captain's hat, like Captain Crunch does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, big like 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 uh like uh, old British sailor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm a hundred percent behind this idea. All right, <laughs> and actually, okay. you know what we're gonna do now? We're gonna plunge into yes, oh. right oh. right oh. back into book club. I'm gonna call the nobody listens to Paula Poundstone book club to order. I am President Pro Tem in the absence of Ken Lazebnik. Okay, here you go. Ready? Oh, yes. We've got a book club, we got a book club, we got a bookie, 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 book club. We got a book club tonight. Wow. Woo! I think she added a bookie. I yeah, think that was a, an additional did. bookie. Each new book we begin, she's going <laughs> to add an extra bookie into bookie, bookie, book club. Uh, well, that really kicks us off. That kicks us off really well. Yeah. And uh, this is a brand new book. Yeah, you want to gavel us in, Adam? Yeah, uh, well, I did, but I'm going to gavel it again. I'm going to call Book Club to order. This yeah, is the first discussion of the novel Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Chuck Palahniuk. 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 Chucky. <laughs> so, um, I thought it was by Brad Pitt. It's not. No, it's not by Bad Pitt. It, by Bad Pitt, it's by Chuck Palahniuk. It's, it's it's giving me just just the shingles trying to say it. Um, all right, so we read the first um, five chapters of Fight Club, and and assumedly met most of our thousands of listeners have done the same. This was overwhelmingly the pick of our listeners. Um, I'm not quite sure why yet, but uh, let's start with you, Paula. What did you think of uh, the first five chapters of Fight Club? And a question that I kind of demand of you first is, have you seen the movie? No, I never saw the movie. Okay. Um, uh, but I know that it it was it starred uh, the author, Brad Pitt. Um, <laughs> Not the and, author. And uh, I have to confess that I, I was li I'm listening to it, and I went further than I was supposed to. Uh, uh, you know, to me, it's very compelling. I, I, I find it kind of a... Eat, pray, love for men. 
<laughs> That's funny. And why is that? Because it's a miserable guy, right? Just, you know, unhappy for, for unhappiness sake. And so he's, uh, you know, he's looking for some way to balance himself, to make himself feel alive. He goes to support groups for people with <laughs> life-threatening diseases, even though he doesn't have one, which to me is the precursor to crying on the bathroom floor. Um, and by the way, do we even know the main character's name? Not as of yet. It's a narrator. Well, yeah, but in, uh, uh, right, but in um, Moby Dick, I might point out, the first line oh. is, my name is Ishmael. <laughs> so sometimes you do know the narrator's name. Uh, in this case, we just know that the man is unhappy. Uh, and he, he meets a sadomasochist in a bar. Well, he meets him yeah. on a beach first and then, and then mm -hmm. oh. goes to meet him at a bar. Oh, right. Yes, excuse no, me. Of course he met him before. Yeah, and then when his, when his apartment blew up, yeah. Right then, he then he calls him up and he and he meets him in a bar. You're right, my mistake. Um, uh, and so that's that's your takeaway is that it's male eat pray love. Yeah, yeah, it is. I don't know if it's possible to say something more offensive to men than that, but uh, you know we'll we'll try over the coming months. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that uh, suddenly Elizabeth Gilbert looks like a stronger human being to me. Yes, I mean, like, it's not like this guy is doing proactive good things like Elizabeth Gilbert did to try right. to get himself back together. He's not eating fine meals or meditating. He's um, doing really, really bad shit. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, maybe in our ignorance, because, of course, you don't know until you read the book, right? But maybe what we should leave behind is our legacy is the order that you should read these books in. And I think it turns out that you should read Fight Club first, so that Eat, Pray, Love seems really elevated. And we should point out <laughs> that the opening chapter of Fight Club is kind of a flash forward. Yes, he has a gun in his mouth. And yeah, Tyler Durden has apparently put a gun in our narrator's mouth and they've arranged for the building to blow up beneath them in three minutes. Uh, it's a lot of really uplifting stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting that so many people that were choosing the book that we should read for the book thought this would be a good idea. But again, you don't know until you read the book. Why would you know ahead of time? And the truth is, I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm kind of intrigued too. Um, I'm going to go over to Sherman Oaks, to Tony Anita Hull right yes. now. Because Tony, I think you have seen the movie, right? I have not seen the movie. Oh, you've not seen the movie. All right. Great. No. Tell me what your uh, your takeaway is. Are you liking it? So I thought I was going to hate it, especially when I started it. It got a lot of eye rolls from me. But you know what? I'm, I'm with I'm with y'all. I'm finding it intriguing, especially the end of, of chapter five. And and I kind of like violence. So I think this will be a lot of fun. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Cruiseware likes violence. <laughs> Tony, you're an enigma. Yeah, yep. Like, I like to, if I watch hockey, I want to see people, like, hit each other with the stick. Oh, my gosh. I love you, you know? Tony. I cannot <laughs> believe that. <laughs> yeah. Tony goes to a lot of peewee hockey games. Get, get in there. Get in there. Beat the shit out of Also, Tony likes violence and yet chose to read Eat, Pray, Love four or five times. No, she read it twice, and then she beat the shit out of somebody with it. 
<laughs> yeah, Tony, this is very surprising. And these characteristics will simply have to be sewn into your plush toy. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, kids are going to love it. No, I think th- I like the writing. It feels sometimes The writing is like, terrific, I think. Yeah, it almost feels like poetry at some point. So I think it's, I just think it's intriguing. I'm excited to see what happens. Let's see if you're if you're not alone in that. Let's head all the way up into the Simi Valley to- Wait a uh, minute, wait a minute. Tony, answer the phone. What? <laughs> Tony, <laughs> Tony, <laughs> answer the phone. <laughs> I don't want it. Now I know why Alec doesn't want to pick up the phone. <laughs> Hello? Hey, Tony, man, it's me. It's me, Mike Bumbo Butterfield. I just want to say, you are absolutely fucking right, man. I love nothing more than seeing little kids just fucking go at it with their hockey sticks and shit. That, you know what? I say, you know, kids, if you want to grow up to be a man, that's, you got to do that. That's not what I said, Mike. I, I, no, man, I heard what you said. I heard what you said, and I really get you. I get you on a certain level, you know what I mean? So I would love to go on a cruise with you. Okay, look, I gotta go. Uh, all right, take care. Bye. Bye, Mike. Wow, boy, he's wow, really Wow, Tony, now. you got a call. You got your first call on this show. Wow. wow. That was exciting, yet frightening. Yeah, you sounded scared. <laughs> You've clearly turned Mike's head. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> He didn't even take the time to call Paula a bitch. No. Might be a first. Tony, answer the phone. To- Tony, answer the phone. <laughs> Hello? Hey, hey, it's just me, Mike Pumbo and Bonifat. Hey, man, you know what? I, I, I forgot to tell you, I really admire you. I really, I, I mean, you're, you're the kind of chick I really love, and I don't know how you work with that fucking... Bitch, Paula Poundstone. Hey, right. Mike. I, hey, man. Yeah, yeah, it's me, Mike. No. All right, I gotta no. go. It was good talking to you. Wow. He really, I don't know, Tony. I hope he doesn't end up harassing you by calling you a lot. <laughs> oh, no. I hope not, too. That'd be terrible. <laughs> That'd be awful. <laughs> <laughs> awful. I like that you tried to stop Mike from, from using that language about Paula, though, Tony. That's, yeah. that's... Thanks, for, thanks for coming to my defense, Tony. Of course, anytime, anytime. Um, All right, so now let's go up to the Simi Valley where underneath a giant cartoonish captain's hat is Bonnie Burns. (laughs) Captain Crinkle, how are you, Bonnie? And how did you feel about Fight Club chapters one through five? And have you seen the movie? I have not seen the movie. I actually thought that this was that movie called The Fighter. I thought it had been called Fight Club. And when we picked it as a book... I thought, oh, I don't want to sit through that story again of those two guys. One brother was a failed boxer and the other guy was becoming a successful boxer, I believe. But it turned out completely different book. Do you know the movie I'm talking about? Oh, Listen. the one with... Um... Oh, it's the Mark Wahlberg one. Yeah. Well, Mark Wahlberg movie, yes. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, I expect to get that story. Yes. So I start listening to this on tape, the, this book, and I'm like, what? is this how long is it going to take for them to get to where the brother is like (laughs) (laughs) this is so boring come on but then I went and started listening to it again and I have to say okay the downside for me is it's a little depressing and what's depressing about going (laughs) to support groups for people with brain parasites what's depressing about that (laughs) Right. And I don't like that 
to have it be that negative, but I think that this is terrifically written. There was something about the prose that was so succinct. Uh, I appreciated that. And I agree with Paula that I think, you know, the main theme in this, that's I is self-acceptance. And the idea I didn't say this, that. Well, you <laughs> said, I wouldn't say that either. No. Wait a minute. I didn't say wasn't that. The, wasn't the journey in Eat, Pray, Love that she was, you know, trying to find herself? She found the real self. You said that. I didn't say that. Well, what did you say? I said she cried on the floor and she was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, f- okay. Well, for me, the, what's it called? The Mayhem Club or something? Project Mayhem. Yeah, those guys lower down in the building who were oh. blowing, like, furniture out of the office building right yeah. before the building was going to blow up thanks to uh, him and Tyler. So, yeah. It's interesting that this guy who seems like he's, you know, in a rote job and nobody around him is real. One of my favorite parts was when he's got his face all beaten up and it takes like three weeks to heal and nobody in his office says one word to him about it. Wait, wait, wait. You're way past chapter five at that moment. See, she went ahead. No, I wasn't past. No, I wasn't. Really? She did. She went ahead. She cheated. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, forget that part. Anyway, I think the idea that this guy has to be in a club of people, it's like the fight club. Okay, we can fight, but like he's only himself because he's around people that are like him. And when he's not in the club, then he can't be himself and he's bitter about everything. Yeah, well, that's going to be interesting next week when, when, when we get to the part about the club. I like the part where they're going down the river in the canoe and they come to the waterfall. <laughs> that's not even that's not even in, in the in the first 280 pages of the book, Paula. Okay. How about the part where they're in the high speed chase? No, no, again. The heroine's in the doll. The heroine's no. in the doll. <laughs> All right. Back to order, everybody. Uh, Here's my opinion of it. I can't believe I'm the only one who saw the movie. And I agree with everything that all you guys are saying, but it's not giving away anything to say that there are some surprises in the story of Fight Club, some big ones. And what I am delighted by is how brilliantly he's setting all that stuff up. I wish I almost wish I didn't know the stuff that you guys are going to learn. It's an amazing story. Does Angelina Jolie drop down out of the ceiling and beat the shit out of him? Oh, maybe I did give too much away. <laughs> With a copy of Eat, Pray, Love, and so for a minute he thinks it's Tony? Well, I, all I'm going to say is I am going to basically recuse myself from talking about the plot and where it's going for the next few weeks because I don't want to tip anybody's hand, but it, it is such a fun thing. All right, well, I guess we finally have a book that we all like. Wow. And it only took three tries. I do, okay, you're not going to give away the part where he gets the dog that he really loves and then he has to shoot it? You're not going to give that away, are you? (laughs) And with that, I call Book Club about Fight Club to a close for this week. We don't have a book club anymore. No, that's yeah, not no, true. We still have <laughs> a club. We don't have a book club anymore tonight. Tonight. Oh my god. Oh jeez. Yeah. Master of improvisation, Bonnie Burns. Yeah. Someday we're gonna have to explain Fantastic. to her what a what a what a club is. Um. Hey, Paula, do you have a word this week? You know, Adam, I have a word. It's solipsistic. 
It's an adjective that means of or relating to solipsism, a theory and philosophy that your own existence is the only thing that is real or that can be known. Here, I'll use it in a sentence. His solipsistic nature makes Friday afternoon traffic catch him by surprise every time. <laughs> well. <laughs> Here, I'll use it in a family setting. Okay. Son, could I have some more mashed potatoes, please? Dad, all the serving dishes are around your plate. That's a little solipsistic, don't you think? Father, are you saying I wear lipstick? You can leave this table and go to your room. Son, no, Dad. Solipsistic, it means of or relating to solipsism, the theory and philosophy that your own existence is the only thing that is real or that can be known. Father, oh, Oh, of course, uh, of course, of relating to solipsism, the theory and philosophy that your own existence is the only thing that is real or that can be known. Yes, yes. Well, let's just put that right into the vocabulary song. <laughs> okay. Solipsistic. All right, hold on. Wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. I'm just wrenching it out of the hands of my plush toy. This week's word is solipsistic. It's an adjective that means of or relating to solipsism, a theory and philosophy that your own existence is the only thing that is real or can be known, tremendously selfish in tone. Last week's word is preponderance. It's a noun that means the state of being greater in number. Most jacks want to chop lumber. The week before that, the word was amnesic. It's a noun or an adjective that means experiencing or relating to a partial or total loss of memory. It happened a lot to Victoria Barkley on the Big Valley. Going back before that, the word was pal and keen. It's a noun that means a covered litter for one passenger consisting of a large box carried on two horizontal poles by four or six bearers. Not a mode of transportation for really great sharers. And not long ago, the word was maunder. It's a verb that means talk in a rambling manner. Someone who talks about Archie comic salad spinners, moon rings, and Matthew McConaughey in a talk on oil prices isn't a very good speech planner. Let's never forget Gallimaufry, which I pronounced wrong until nobody James Hyder corrected me. It's a noun that means confused jumbler medley of things. Hodgepodge, who's podge, hodgepodge. Adam doesn't think my song is replicable, replicable, replicable. But I do, I do. I do, I do. Woo! Yeah! Ooh, oh bravo. my gosh! Oh, wow! I'm broken. Really I'm, well I'm, done, Paula. I'm, I'm broken. I'm exhausted. All those hours of practice building up to this moment. Tony Needahall, if you can use this week's word solipsistic correctly. In a sentence, on three occasions during this episode, we will give dollars worth of advertising to Loyalty Bookstore in Washington, D.C., inside Willow on Upshur 843, Upshur Street, Northwest. Coming up, Mitch Hedberg said, the depressing thing about tennis is that no matter how good I get, I'll never be as good as a wall. Well, we've got someone who knows something about tennis and breaking down walls. Billie Jean King is here when we come back. Hey, Paula. You know, 
Every once in a while, we get a new advertiser that I get super excited about. And I have to say, just because of the circumstances of my life right now, I'm really excited about our new advertiser, Quince of Quince.com, the clothing provider. Not to be mistaken for Quince from Midsummer Night's Dream. And let me just say this, and maybe it's not important to an advertisement, but when I was in the fourth grade, our class put on a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Okay. And I played I played Peter Quince. There. There's the connection. One of the mechanicals. That's a great connection. Also, yes, has nothing to do with this, which is that um, Quince is an online clothing store. And as you know, Paula, I've, uh, I've lost a little weight lately. Oh, right. 75 pounds. Yeah. So I literally have no clothes that are in my size until I just ordered some stuff at Quince. And I figured like, here's a chance for me to create a new look for myself. A whole new image. And how's it going? Not bad. I mean, the clothes are fantastic. I know that you ordered some too. What I got is I got the Comfort Stretch Traveler five pocket pants. And I got the, um, oh, it's so, and I got the 100% European linen shirt and it looks breezy and it fits beautifully. These are like premium pieces of clothing that are selling for like, you know, $30 a piece or starting at $30 at quince.com. It's awesome. I look good. I ordered the brushed lounge jogger Ooh. and you know i put them on when i came back from new york i pulled them on and i i swear to you okay this is not scientific because i was tired already right but they were so soft <laughs> and, and so comfortable that honestly like right as i got them up to my waist i i i think my eyes closed they're so it's a softness it's a kind of softness that I don't think I've ever experienced in a garment, honestly. You know, my uh, drawstring European linen trousers are a little bit like that, too. Like, so comfortable that I just want to hang out with myself. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And they're European. Keep that in mind. Uh, oh, European. they are so European. And you can get those kinds. You can get washable silk tops. You can get uh, 14 karat gold jewelry and like all these accessories. Quince sells a lineup of timeless pieces that keep their customers looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm not certain that I look chic, but certainly if I did, it's not going to take a lot of effort. I now look chic and I feel pretty great. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabric. It's all good as far as I can see. Is it my imagination or do they cut out the middleman? They cut out the middleman, Paula Poundstone. I love it when they cut out the middleman. That's the thing, they cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's fantastic. So be like me and Paula. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash nobody for free shipping on your order and a 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash nobody to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash nobody. And honestly, I look fantastic. Paula, you won't be able to keep your hands off me. Oh, I can't wait. And don't (laughs) think that if you had to return something, don't think you're sending it to a middleman because they cut out the middleman. They cut out the middleman. That's quince.com slash nobody. And if you're going to do it anyway, use our code. Hey, Paula, it's been almost a year now since I got my Helix mattress. And as you remember, there was some drama surrounding Helix mattresses. Because when Helix first sponsored us, Bonnie took the mattress and she's been loving it. But finally, I got my chance to get a Helix mattress and I sleep so well. I mean, the family bed is where we all gather. We watch movies in, in our room occasionally and everybody just piles on it and it it's comfy. And yet when one person hops on, the other half of the mattress doesn't fly up. I'm a fan. Well, you know, Adam, everybody is unique and everyone sleeps differently. 
That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from, each designed for specific sleep positions and feel preferences. Models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side. Models with a more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs some extra TLC, they got you. Every Helix mattress has a hybrid design combining individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It is the perfect combination of comfort and support. I agree with that last bit. I don't get all the technical stuff about the mattress, but it is soft and supportive. Helix offers 20 unique mattresses, the award-winning Lux, which I got, and ultra-premium Elite Collections, the Helix Plus, a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers, and the Helix Kids mattress designed for growing bodies and endorsed by child sleep experts, and my daughter now wants one. So, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? You go to their website, take the Helix Sleep Quiz, and you find your perfect mattress batch in under two minutes. You know, when you said you can't follow all the technical stuff, it's really not that technical. You know, uh, no matter what way you sleep, they have a mattress that will support and comfort you. How hard is that? Uh, you know, when you say it that way, it seems a lot simpler. I take it back. That's my boner. And your personalized mattress is shipped straight to your door, free of charge. And Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. That's why they offer a 100-night trial and a 10- to 15-year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. Well, I like that there's a warranty, but they can pry that mattress from my cold, dead hands. I took the sleep quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. I got the Lux. And I love it. It is such an upgrade from my old mattress. You know, I think Bonnie got the Midnight Lux. She did. Too. Yeah. You're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to take Adam's word for it? Well, you got Bonnie's word. Helix has been awarded the number one mattress picked by GQ and Wired Magazine. It's even recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. Your Sleepy Time Pal Helix is offering up to 30% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. That's a lot, and it's already not that expensive a mattress. Go to helixsleep.com slash Paula. That's helixsleep.com slash Paula. This is their best offer yet. It's fantastic. It won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Well, not right now. And if you're going to get it anyway, use our code. On this day in unremarkable history, Barry Gibbs said, Mom, next time you're pregnant, try to eat more or something. We need an alto. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you, house band Rajnar Vajra. Now, Paula Poundstone, I know that you're always trying to connect with the youth. Adam, we have some younger listeners, and we love them, but the younger generation knows nothing of my generation's struggle. I grew up in the 70s, and it was a difficult time because, well, Muskrat Love and the Pina Colada song both came out in those years. <laughs> but there were other challenges. I mean, we still haven't been able to pass an Equal Rights Amendment to protect gender equality, but things are better than they were. Opportunities for girls and women took a big leap forward in the 70s, 
I wish there was someone who could explain what it was like and how it changed. Well, that's nearly an impossible order. Oh, wait a minute. Paula, what? by amazing <laughs> happenstance, we have an expert in that subject right here. No. Yeah, we are. our batting average is amazing these days. Named one of the 100 most important Americans of the 20th century by Life magazine, Billie Jean King is the 2009 recipient of the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The National Tennis Center, home of the U.S. Open, was renamed the USTA Billie Jean King National Tennis Center in 2006 in honor of her accomplishments on and off the court. In 2021, she received the Laureus World Sports Lifetime Achievement Award. Her memoir, All In, an autobiography, was published just in August of this year. Please welcome Billie Jean King. Yay! Thank you! Very nice introduction. Excellent. An honor. You know, we had to, we had to keep cutting it. We had to keep cutting it down because there was so much you could go on forever with your introduction. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. First of all, Um, it's easy to forget how different our country was for women and girls. Uh, not even all that many years ago. Can you explain some of the ways that things were different when you started playing tennis? Well, there's two parts. It's our sport was amateur, then became professional. But the other part is that um, we could not get athletic scholarships to college in the 60s. We um, could not get a credit card until 19, either 75 or 76. Um, Just it goes on and I mean, like credit card, you know, you've heard the saying, you know, women are great because they shop until they drop. Right. How can they not give us credit cards? So anyway, I, I yeah. could never understand that. <laughs> uh, so it's like, really? But it's, um, anyway, it, was, it wasn't great. Uh, I'll tell you the, the best piece of legislation for us, besides the vote in 1920, uh, which is for really white women, white girls, and then the, for women of color in the 60s with the Civil Rights Acts in the mid-60s, and, but 1972, Title IX, it's called Title IX. It was part of the educational amendment. And what it really said is for the first time, any private or public high school, college, or university, if you receive any federal funds for the first time, you're going to have to spend it equally on the boys and the girls. And if you look back to the early 70s, you'll see where a lot of schools went co-ed. They were single gender, particularly boys' schools. And then all of a sudden, whoa, money, follow the money. Uh, oh, 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 okay. Um, well, let's become co-ed so we can get some of these dollars. So that happened a lot as well. And what happened is they, for the first time, did not have classroom quotas. If you wanted to go to Harvard as, and get a medical degree as a woman, only 5% of the class could be women. So that meant a lot of women got turned away from, let's say, Harvard. But you, that means all the other schools followed suit a lot. So there was a classroom quotas that went bye-bye. For the first time, women got sc- athletic scholarships. Like I worked two jobs with the Cal State LA while Arthur Ashe and Stan Smith had full scholarships. Arthur went to UCLA on a full scholarship and Stan Smith, who became number one as well as Arthur in tennis, he was at UC, uh, USC and got a full scholarship. I worked two jobs and I thought I was living large because I had work. You know, my family always said, you got to have a job. You got to have a job. What jobs did you do? What jobs did you do? I was a playground director uh, for an elementary school, and I also passed out equipment. The only job I never liked, I liked the work. The only job I hated was the 
passing out equipment in the locker room at the school because it there was always time between doing that. So I think, oh, I'll get some studies done. Not a chance. It was just enough where you could never get organized and focused for a, enough minutes. So it was just, oh, I hate it. It's the only time I saw the clock go backwards. But everything oh, yeah. else, life, life is too fast. So you explained uh, Title IX. So that would pass in 72. Uh, June 23rd, 1972. It's ratified in August. Did it get implemented right away? Or did people, no. like, you know how when, for example, when schools were um, desegregated, there were a lot, you know, that was the law, but a lot of schools didn't follow the law. Correct. And they That's found exactly ways to cheat, true. too, yeah. It was the same. Another thing about the segregation, their integration, is that we forgot. This guy was telling me that at night. He goes, you know, we got the kids together, but what we forgot about were the teachers. And he's right. We didn't care. We didn't think about getting the teachers integrated, did we? No. We got the kids wow. going. And I thought that was very interesting. And I've been thinking about that a lot. I didn't, I should have thought of that at the time, but I didn't. Well, well, what was I, 10 years old? I was probably 10 years. Yeah. But the point is, it's changed. But even today, like you saw that big deal about the NCAA championships with the men and the women. And the woman showed her the locker room with nothing there except a oh, little, right. like a little that with one little weight on it. You remember? What's her name? Prince or something? Oh, man. I, anyway. I forget who showed it, but I know what you're talking it, it, about. It, yeah, no, but it, things are not equal. Um, and because sports is a microcosm of society, I'm sure comedy is too that it tells you exactly what's going on with men and women of course now we don't live in a binary world either which makes it more um interesting but more confusing to talk about because it gets so it was tough enough with binary world now we've got many genders and we have to be respectful and i want everyone to be represented um and i'm still trying to figure and i know i'm a she her right now so um, i'm trying to you know the pronouns i always ask people now how do you self-identify because i I get really nervous about getting it right. You know, I want to get it right and show respect. So I just ask, and then they go, you know what? Thanks for asking me. And I go, yeah, I'm going to keep asking them if I'm not sure what they think. I just want them to be happy. Are, are we going to be accused of teaching critical sex theory for pointing out that our country's history of sexism, do you think? Too bad. <laughs> no we got to keep we got to keep it rocking we got because it's really important to have discussions on all these things and uh i just wish people would worry about our the people of the country instead of worrying about uh their party or their team or whatever winning in politics it's you know it's about the people and i i'm big believer in there has to be compromise if you want to change things you cannot just uh it's not black and white it's a tough it's tough I'm almost done reading your book, and it's wonderful, and there's so much in it because you did so much, but one of the things that I noticed was a refrain is what you just mentioned. For example, when you asked for money for the players, um, uh, or even when the men's money and the women's money wasn't even, how did you handle that? Okay, well, tennis was amateur. We got $28 or $14 a day, basically, you know, per diem type of money. So finally, Yikes. we rebelled. Finally, we rebelled. And in 1968, for the first time, it's called open tennis, which means pro tennis. We got a check instead of just a trophy or a toaster or an iron or whatever for winning. <laughs> so. Did you get a toaster before? Oh, I think somebody got for the Australian Open or Australian Championships back in the old days, in the amateur days. I think Yvonne Gulagan got like a 
toaster and the, the guy got something else and he said can we trade can we trade our trophy? my wife my wife we need the toaster do you need your iron I, you know it's broken so here why don't you have the iron whatever they gave it's a, it was hilarious so um we finally got some money and i was all excited and larry my former husband said to me at the time he said you know um billy it's, it's going to be a rough road for you guys because the men will want all the money. They think it belongs to them. And I've been playing tennis with these guys. They're friends. You go dancing with them. You go to dinner with them. I go, oh, no, they're my, you know, they're friends. They're great. There's no way they'll do that. He says, Billy, he says, the old boy network, I am telling you, will try to squeeze you out. I said, oh, no way. They're my friends. He was right. Totally right. And I was totally oh, wow. wrong. So that was a big wake-up call and a very tough lonely just excruciating understanding that the guy who's my friend i thought would not want to stand up for me to have what he has that was another lesson in life to wake up you know boom boom <laughs> so we we kept trying to we kept trying to get the money and you know we meeting the women and different people who cared about us and the, it got it got pathetic the, the people who run the game were saying we're going to get less we're going to get one to eight one to twelve ratio of prize money so we're talking, and Larry said, why don't you go talk to Gladys Hellman, who owns World Tennis Magazine. She'll know all the CEOs for sponsorship. And why don't you go talk to her? We finally convinced her that we finally had this one tournament in Houston. Uh, we signed a $100 contract with her, nine of us, and we're called the original nine. We were just inducted to the International Tennis Hall of Fame. We're the only group ever to be inducted because that day in 1970, September 23rd, is the it's really the birth of women's professional tennis the way you know it today and why women's tennis is the leader in women's sports, which is saying something, but not a lot yet. So um, we were willing to do that. But as during that week in Houston, when we had this tournament, I kept calling, I said to Larry, this is great, but what after this tournament? We don't have a tour. We don't have anything. So uh, all of us went out and got people to run a tournament in 1971 and we got enough people, God love them, because it was a high risk, going to lose your you-know-what backside just to do this. Huge investment. I told Larry in December of 70, I want to make $100,000 next year because if they will follow me trying to win 100, which is huge in those days, that was probably number eight with the men as well. Willie Mays, I made more than Johnny Bench in 1971. And I don't know if anybody remembers Johnny Bench. He made about 80000 so anyway, I knew if I, I I knew that everyone understands money. It's a fixed, you know, everyone, whether you work at a factory, teacher, CEO, everyone. I said, if I can get, if I can make this statement and if I can make it and I looked and I knew it was going to be tough, because we made about $1,800 usually when we won those weeks. So and there was one tournament, you can win 10. And I knew I had to win that one to do it. So anyway, I said to Larry, if I can do this, we'll get attention on the tour. Because now, you know, I can talk about all the other players. We can promote it. So off, we got really fortunate that people believed in us. We got a sponsor, everything. So here we go. We had our first tour in 1971 and keep going. And then we got all the four majors. We got equal prize money. So if a guy gets $3 million when he wins the U.S. Open, the women gets the same or $2 million or whatever. We took less money this year because of COVID and also giving more money to the lower players, ranking players. So um, all in all, the women... Women's tennis is the leader in women's sports because of that day. And we keep fighting for equality, which I've been fighting for since I was 12. 
So um, anyway, that's it's been a long road. But in the book, All In, you'll see the road to this you know, success and how many people it took and how many male allies we had to make it. I mean, I don't, I don't know if people realize, but men have been a huge part of, of my career and also being allies. Um, there's a few out there. There's a few men who make a big difference and we, and we need the men and we need all women. And of course, women are doing better now. There's more, they're doing better, but it's not great. And 94% of women in C-suites identify with being an athlete. And most of them, 50% of those people, I think, were D1 athletes. So women, women's sports, I don't care if you're any good. I think it's good for a girl to be in sports because you understand the culture. You understand business if you go into business. You understand a lot of things because men created these things. So you've got to understand, you've got to understand their language, not ours. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting stuff. I love all that socialization study. I love all that. I, I'm, I, I, was, I was meant to do this because I love it. I love people. <laughs> You know, and I believe in people. I think they, we can do a lot of great stuff. I am. I imagine that even once you made that hundred thousand uh, dollars, you were kicking yourself when your toaster broke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I called. I I called Yvonne Gulagon in Australia. I said, "How's that toaster going?" <laughs> <laughs> Billie Jean King has not had toasted bread. Since 1970, ladies and gentlemen, talk about sacrifice. (laughs) She'd only won that tournament in Australia. Uh. She'd be be sitting sitting pretty with the toast. Instead, she won 100 grand. I wasn't actually there. I actually didn't go to that one. It cost a lot of money to go to Australia in those days. That's a lot of money to go to Australia. We used to stay there three months, have to go do exhibitions to get money under the table to get home because of our plane fare. I mean, it's just, it's just not, it's like the players would not even, it's, that's progress, which is good. But so I you, still you, think. You paid for your own tickets? You didn't get, the tickets weren't paid for? Sometimes the association paid, sometimes they paid partial, sometimes. It just varied. Wow. I, I, that's why I want people, the more you know about history, the more you know about yourself. But most importantly, it helps you shape the future. And also understand the business you're in. Understand the business side. Like, the one thing about us, Larry and I decided to own tournaments in 71. We had no money, but we had good ideas. But boy, I'll tell you one thing. That helped me more than anything to be a leader because I understood their side of the story. So when I wanted to go at equal prize money at the U.S. Open, and I wanted to make it happen, and I did because I went and asked sponsors, would you step up before I went to the guy to ask, well, can we have equal prize money? I mean, it's pretty hard when you walk into a meeting and say – um, Billy Talbert, he was the tournament director. I said, Billy, we've done a survey. It's much more favorable for the women than you think. And I showed it to him. He couldn't believe it. But they really did like the women's tennis. They wanted us to be together. They wanted us to have more money. And so I went to different sponsors and I said, would you, would you think about making up the difference in the total prize money? So when I go to, to negotiate that, it's going to be pretty hard for the guy if I say we brought the money. So he doesn't have to go out and get it. Sure enough. Bristol Myers stepped up, gave us the 55,000. In those days, it wasn't very much money. And I went into that meeting and I said to Billy, Billy, not only have you seen the survey, guess what? Got the price money difference for you. You will not have to go out and try to and raise one dime Great. difference. And he looked at me with his eyes got big. He goes, are you kidding? You've already got the money? I said, yeah, I do. And so I knew as a, I, now I've owned tournaments. I get the, the other side of the story. Yeah. And he went, wow. And so the next year in 73, 
US, the U.S. Open is the first major tournament to have equal prize money, and that's because I understood their side of it, not our side of it. Yeah, we want more. Sure, we want this. We want that. But you know what? Go get it. That's why I want the. That's why I want the players to understand business. I think they should have to go to sponsor meetings, or they should go to television. You know, uh, media, media meetings. Go to everything. While we're talking about uh, prize money, um, I want to note that at this point, I think as of now, Serena Williams has won $94 million in prize money alone. How much of that do you feel like you're entitled to? <laughs> well, that's that's really funny you said that. Larry and I thought, why don't we start a business, especially Larry. He was brilliant. Um, he said, why don't we start try to get the top eight players and own this is before we did the thing with Gladys. Okay. This is seven. Mm-hmm. This is a few months earlier and they're not, they weren't interested. And now I say to them, uh, you guys, you know, you remember that letter that Larry uh, sent out and you didn't want to sign. <laughs> if we had signed that and, and started the tour, do you realize, let's just say we made a deal. We get 2% of the gross off of all the prize money. We're up to about 200 and something million. I said, how would you like to be splitting that nine ways or eight ways? And they go, <laughs> oh, we, we, uh, they go, Oh, we didn't get it. We didn't get it. I said, I know you didn't get it. And you guys, cause you didn't understand the business. Didn't understand what you said no to. We kept telling you, don't say no to this. Let's say yes to this. They said no. And so the second thing came up was the nine, the original nine, but it was a really, really, it's in the book all in uh, all this trying to make it work. You could have owned tennis. Yeah, we could have. Wow. Of course we were much too altruistic. But it's okay. One of the things, one of the things that I was struck by, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, writing the letters, and and you have Larry helping you with stuff like that, partners and stuff like that. But you know, going to the meetings and trying to get uh, the Billy guy to give the prize money, all that stuff. Yeah. And and then you were playing tennis. Oh yeah, I was trying to play tennis. Right. You were like, (laughs) it, it was like watching, it was like watching the girl from Flashdance. Who, who, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. I Jennifer was exhausted Beale. reading this, thinking like, wait a minute, w- w- when did she sleep? I didn't get enough sleep. And unlike Jennifer Beals, you didn't have a body double. No, I didn't. I needed one. Um, no, I didn't get enough <laughs> sleep. In fact, you know what people say? What do you remember in about the 70s? I said, I was so tired all the time. I got about four hours <laughs> of sleep a night. I was absolutely running on empty. Yeah, I need, uh, what's his name? Jackson. Brown running on empty that song. Oh yeah. Jackson Brown. Yep. Yeah. I actually would turn that song on sometimes and just have a chuckle because I, I got it running on empty. <laughs> and yet, you know, now every now and then, um, cause I've had years of a very little, uh, you know, very erratic sleep availability. And every now and then I'll see an article about like how one of the keys to health and the keys to sanity are sleep hygiene. And I'm like, oh. I know, me too. Yeah, are you worried? That yeah, you- I'm worried because I had two parents who had dementia, but they but they only had it after the heart operations. So I'm hoping uh, I won't. But no, I, I worry about that now. Yeah, a little bit. I try not to, because it's nothing I can do about it except take good care of myself now. So I just try right. to stay in the now. Absolutely right. Well, that's a good idea. I don't like I don't like to harp on that because it doesn't do any good. You know, what? No, what is... What's the best thing you can do? Stay in the now, try to eat right, exercise, and try to get your sleep, you know. I don't I don't know if this will be reassuring to you or not, and I appreciate your philosophy of living in the now, but I will come help take care of you if you ever need it. That's sweet. 
Thank you. (laughs) Let me cut in here for just a second. Roger Federer once said, the key to my success at tennis is always knowing that I have my chain of slightly damaged appliance stores to fall back on. No, Paula, he didn't. But we'll have more with Billie Jean King when we come back. The cat of the week is Mindy from New York City, New York. And we are back with Billie Jean King. Paula, take it. You know, uh, Billy, we we talked about this a couple minutes ago when you were saying about Larry's prediction about the men not wanting the women on the tours. Tell them some of the shit that the male players said. I was shocked to read that. Yeah, we did some research. You know, I, my dad was great. Fifteen um, or fourteen or fifteen, whatever. Um, I was yelling because I didn't make because I when they finally made the front page of the uh, the Long Beach Press Telegram. Um, I was going on and on because I said the first time they've even writ- written about me, you know, I made the front page. I lost love and love. I played horrible. I can't believe it. I've won tournaments. They never put me on the front page. And I was going on and on and on. My dad goes, okay, stop. He says, um, what are you talking about? I'm talking about yesterday, the match I played. He says, yeah, what are we talking about? Yesterday. Guess what? Forget about it. Yesterday's over. It's history. It doesn't matter. It matters what you do today with your life and tomorrow, but particularly today. Does I... In fact, I'm so ticked to hear you talk like that. I, you're not allowed to look at your clippings, okay? I don't want you reading them, nothing. In those days, we didn't have social Whoa. media, remember? And we depended on the newspaper. We depended on television. That was it. So he said, no, okay? And, of course, I was, I was a very serious, good kid, you know, and I love my dad and I love my mom. I mean, they're what they did for my brother and I. Um, so I said, okay, it's a deal. And so to this day, I didn't read all those things until the book about what Arthur Ashe said, Stan Smith said. I, I know people would kind of tell me what they were saying, but I didn't really compute. I didn't listen. Wow. And so anyway, doing the book, I was in shock. And I it made me realize, like, I lo- you know, I really loved Arthur, and I'd go to him, and he'd always say, you know, like, the, the guys were going to boycott Wimbledon in 73. And I said, do you want me to have the girls I'll go to girls and – and help, do you want us to go with you on this? Because I'm doing just the opposite of what they do with us. He goes, no, we don't care about you guys. And I, I went, how can I not care? Because we're half, and right. they didn't. And so we're doing the, the book stuff, all in stuff, and we're looking up different things, and we're looking at these quotes from the guys. And I'm like, oh, my God, don't even show me. Of course, they showed me, and I'm like, oh, it's horrible. For instance, Arthur Ashe, who I absolutely adored, I, I realized he was race-sensitive, but not gender sensitive. He was uh-huh. eventually, we had a great relationship at near the, you know, of his life, I should say, because he's passed, but he was terrible. I mean, he said, you know, and then Stan Smith said, oh, you guys should go, you know, quit and go home to your husbands, of course, or breadwinners. And, and some of us were the breadwinners. And so, a lot of us weren't married. And a lot of us were married. I mean, some were married. I mean, it, we, everyone had a different situation. I thought, wow, that, that was rough. That was rough. Yeah. Very rough. Yvonne Gulagong wasn't the bread winner, but she was the bread toaster. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she was the bread winner as well. Wow. Wow. Um, now, okay. Um, I was alive during the Battle of the Sexes. Um, I, I paid somewhat attention to But you were probably young. How young were you? I don't know. I, I'm 61 now. You'd have to do the math. 
I um, want to say that I was five at the time, and it's one of the first nights I remember watching TV with my family. My mom was a big tennis fan, and partly because she was from Forest Hills. And Oh, really? That's amazing. And we were all rooting for you. And it was the first time I remember watching uh, tennis. And I became a lifelong fan of it kind of because of that amazing night. Wow, that's really <laughs> that's great memory. But that, uh, well, they had 90 million people watch that match. 90 million. Wow. So, and, and what you went through uh, with your family was happening all over the country and outside of the country because it was 90 million people, a lot of people. And I knew it was about social change. How did the match come about? Match came about, um, Bobby followed me around. You know, we started the tour in 71, right? We had all those tournaments and taking a big mm -hmm. risk. And he started following me around that, oh, come on, let's go do this match. We can make lots of money. I said, I, I'm exhausted. I can't, I couldn't do this match if I wanted. He's like, oh, no, you got to do it. I said, no. And he tried for like a year and a half, two years. And finally, he goes, okay. And he starts asking all the other women. That's Nancy Ritchie, Chris Everett. Um, and they finally asked Margaret Court. And so she said, well, I'm going to play him. And when I saw her in the elevator, she told me the tournament. And I said, oh, Margaret, you realize this isn't just a tennis match. You know, like you're going to get a check for the match and that, oh, everything's hunky-dory. I said, I know you're from Australia, but this is really important. It's not a tennis match. This is about social change. It's, it's got a lot to it. She says, okay, I hear you. And I said, Margaret, you have to win this match. You have to win this match. She says, okay, I hear you. She loses 6-2-6-1. I am devastated. We're in Japan. Oh. We're in Japan. We're on the way home when we learn. And I go, okay. And I told Larry before the match, I said, Larry, if I think Margaret will, will beat him handily. I think he'll, she'll kill him. But if she doesn't, God forbid, I said, I have to play him. Wow. Okay. And so she lost. And Larry, I said, Larry, could you please wait? Could we wait until after Wimbledon to announce that we're going to play this match? And Jerry Parincio, the, the promoter who had also promoted the Ole Frazier fight in 71, which is a huge fight. It was a historic fight at Madison Square Garden. He, he was the nicest guy. And so anyway, um, here we go. We had a match at, at the Astrodome. That's where he decided to play the match for us. And um, <laughs> I knew I had to win. And I just visualized so strongly I visualize myself running everything down, hitting everything in, bad line call, doesn't bother me, stay focused. I mean, I went through this for four weeks. I just constantly, and we still had the Virginia Slims tour, by the way. We still had our tour going on while all this is going on. Oh right. my God, it was just, it was unbelievable chaos. And I stayed focused. I got more and more focused. I got more and more calm. That's why I am in everything. I get really like anxious and crazy. And then as I visualize, visualize every day like this, I get, you know, I just get calm and focused and I have to win. And, but I, I also pay the price. I go to the arena. I meet all the security guards. I meet all the administrators. I have them take me around the arena because you don't want to get lost. You cannot believe how many athletes get lost in an arena if you haven't been there. Really? I mean, well, think about it. Where are the locker rooms? Oh, oh, where is the car? Where is the car going to drop you off? There's 10 places they can drop you off. So I said to, the, to them, I said, I got to be dropped off exactly here the day before I did all my homework. I went up in the stands and tried to pretend I was a fan, you know, wow. up in the rafters. I, I knew everything. And so I knew exactly where we're going to park the car, where I was going to come in. I know the names of the people. I, this is just the day before. This is the way yeah. I am about everything. So I mean, even doing this, okay, doing this podcast with you guys, I'm trying to learn about you guys, you know, like, what about you? <laughs> You know, what about your life? So I'm looking you up. No, but you got it. If you're going to do a good job, it's about caring about others. It's caring about the whole thing. 
the meaning of it. And I knew it was about social change. I knew because Title IX had just been passed the year before, which we talked about earlier. And I right. knew that I wanted, and people were trying to put holes in it. A lot of football guys were trying to get rid of it. Um, didn't want us. Um, and I'm thinking we got to keep Title IX strong in every way for the future. And so um, all this is going through my mind. I had a big reason to win though. And I love purpose and passion. I love purpose. So I had a really good challenge here. I had a purpose and I didn't want us to go backwards. But you, you have to understand, Bobby was one of the greatest players. He was one of my heroes. But during World War II, he got deprived of being having the attention that he deserved because he was so good. But it was World War II. They didn't play Wimbledon for five or six years. So he didn't really get the applause he deserved. And here, all of a sudden, with women, the women's movement, he's using it to the hilt. And he's always a hustler. <laughs> he was always a hustler his whole life, if you know his history, which I did. He loves to bet. Every morning he'd wake up and make a bet with somebody on golf, tennis, anything, you name it. He's always figuring out how to win. And he could always hustle people and get him sucked in. And then he'd make a big bet and kill him, you know, with the bet. I mean, he, huh. he's notorious for that. So I knew all this about him. I seen footage of him. I appreciated him. He knew nothing about me, which is happens a lot. The girls were brought up to think about others, boys or not. Um, and it, a lot of it's socialization. Um, yeah. Just like boys are taught to be brave. Why? Why should they be always brave? And why should a girl be perfect? We're taught to be perfect. No wonder girls have no self-confidence. If you're taught, to, nobody's perfect. Nobody's brave all the time. Just get, gotta get rid of this baloney. So anyway, he didn't understand that I understood him because I studied him and I appreciate him as a kid and I love history. So um, I knew all about him. He didn't know one thing about me. But he knew about the women's movement. He knew about women's tennis and why are those women making that kind of money when he deserves it? You know, an old guy like me, you know, I, I mean, but if you look at our interviews, uh, some of the tapes, I let him go on and on, except I got him a couple of times when I, if I'd had it, then I would, but I, I like entertainment. I wanted a huge crowd. I wanted, I wanted to help Title IX. I wanted to help women's tennis. I wanted to help women's sports. I wanted to help women. I wanted to help men understand us better. So. I just, all those things go off in my head. So I had a lot of purpose to win. I said to Larry and I said to everybody else, if I lose this match, the rest of my life, they're going to say, oh, what's that, that lady over there? Oh, she lost to that old guy. What, what's her name? And what's his name? You know, and that would have been my life. I'm not kidding. And I'm like, uh-uh, we got to make this go forward. We got to, you know, get title nine really. And then just a few, a couple of years after that, you know, two or three years, we got the credit card. <laughs> thing going and we got uh, <laughs> I want to you know, I want to thank you especially for that. Billy, Billy, <laughs> tell them it. tell them what Barack Obama said to you about the battle of the sexes. Do you recall? Oh yeah, I when I first met him in the Oval Office, um he said, "You know, I saw you play your match when I was 12." I said, "What?" <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, and it really it, it was a it was a big influence for me because you know, with the two girls we have now, Michelle and I um, it made a difference in how I approached raising them because it made me just take a beat and think about, you know, how I want to raise them. So it helped me, you know, you never know, Ali and I used to talk about this, Muhammad Ali and I used to talk about this. You never know how another person's going to touch your life or how you're going to touch their life. So be alert. You don't know. So be alert. And he and I used to always talk about that at the award banquets and, you know, when we see each other and we did the Mike Douglas show together. Back, of course, people go, what's that? 
It was a great show out of Philadelphia. Mike Douglas was fantastic. Sure. I remember and he used Mike to, Douglas. But he, he used to let it, he had me co-host the show for a week. And it How was, was that? Oh, I loved it. I mean, I, I got to see Ginger Rogers. I got to see, oh my God, Ali came to the show. Oh my God, it was wow. a great, it was a great week. It was really amazing. And Mike Douglas and family are, were some of the greatest people. And they just, you know, oh my gosh. Sorry, he's he's also left us, but he was he was an all he was a great one, Mike Douglas. I remember there were two of those daytime shows. One was Mike Douglas, and the other was Merv Griffin. And there was That's an right. ad. Oh, I love Merv. There was an ad in the TV guide one time. It was a picture of Merv Griffin holding a microphone, and it said, "Merv can handle a mic." <laughs> 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 you know that Merv Griffin played. Te- you know Merv Griffin played tennis almost every day. That guy loved tennis. He, I, I saw him. I was on his show, but I also saw him on the court. And then he used to play with uh, Clint Eastwood. Oh my God! I, I was where was I in Monterey or one up there where they live? Carmel. That was it. And I was walking into this uh, place, and there they were. And they came over and talked for a while. So these guys. I mean, what a life I've had. I mean, meeting these people. Merv Griffin was amazing with the game shows, and yeah. um, and and he just was a he's monumental. You know, they were all terrific. But you know what, Billie Jean King, they didn't change the world the way that you did. Well, I don't know. I can't judge that. I got some some distance on it. I okay. think I see it. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I say, for the rest of the Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone podcast, we could do an hour with Billie Jean King every day, and we'd have to be on for years to cover everything <laughs> I that you've touched. I think, I think, I, Paul, I think a lot of people know you and appreciate you and your and your humor, and I think you're fantastic. So I think you don't need me, but, and of course, Adam and um, I don't know well, about Adam's Bonnie. on every show, you know, Billie Jean. <laughs> Um, Bill Jean, I met uh, Martina Naratilova once. Uh, she came to see me at a show in Florida. Oh, great. And, and, and I follow her on Twitter. And so one day over Twitter, I challenged her to a ping pong match because uh, I love <laughs> ping pong. And I, I have ping pong tournaments in my backyard. Uh, oh, that's great. Prior to COVID, you know, every few months we would have a tournament. And, uh, you know, we have some good players and we have some people who've, you know, hardly ever played. And it's just joyous. It's just plain I'm fun. I'm still learning, Paula, okay? Adam's not bad. So I challenged <laughs> Mar- Martina Naratilova uh, via Twitter. She said, it's a date. That's what she said. But she didn't set the date. And so I started sort of trash talking a little bit via Twitter. And one day she posted a picture of her wife and she, uh, in a restaurant, I don't know, it was a birthday or an anniversary or something. And I wrote, that's good. Keep eating. Don't practice. <laughs> and uh, and she tweeted back. She tweeted back, ha ha, I don't need to practice. Oh, my God. That's Martina. Martina is very confident. She has a yeah. lot of self-confidence. Yeah. I think she's very good in the trash talk area. Very good. Very good. She really, no, she's good. She really... She put me in my place, um, but uh, I I would like to recruit you for that ping pong tournament as well. My backyard has had some really great games. I'm terrible. <laughs> Perfect. We'll do doubles. You'll be my partner. Well, we've absolutely loved having you. Thank you so, 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 so much. 
Thanks for having me. It's, it's meant a lot to me, and I've had a great time with all of you. Thank you. Oh, oh I'm so, glad. so great. Thank, Thank you very, very much. That was excellent. And now we're going to take everything we just learned and run it all through the old Pouncedinator. Paula? House band Rajnar Vajra on the electric guitar. Thank you for an episode of beautiful house banditry. If I could ask you for a little background music, I'll tell you what the old Pouncedinator spit out. I am actually shaking with excitement from talking with legendary Billie Jean King, a woman who has lived her life determined to make the world a better place, and she has. One of the things I'm most struck by is her efforts to understand the other side of the argument. It gives her grace. Even if I could play tennis competitively, I lack the grace to do a fraction of what Billie Jean King has done in fighting for fairness and inclusion. I would have just tied men up and thwacked balls at them. Here's for paying men more than women for the same job. Here's for never being able to admit you're wrong. Pull over and ask directions, you dumb fuck. Here's for women aren't funny, Jerry Lewis. Here's for half of a two-inch article about a woman's policy speech being about what she was wearing. And thanks for the credit card, asshole. Here's for grabbing pussy. Here's for Viagra being covered by insurance when birth control isn't. Here's for your fucking glass ceiling. Here's for girls can't go to school. Yeah, you, Taliban. Here's for rejecting the Equal Rights Amendment. Here's for your Valentine's chocolates and your wars and your pissing matches. Here's for your overturning Roe v. Wade. Here's an idea. Wear a condom. Here's another idea. If you don't wear a condom, I get $10,000 for turning you in. Let me tell you something. We don't get our rights from you. If I was Billie Jean King, we'd never have gotten anywhere. You can pick up her memoir, All In, an autobiography, wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, Billy Jean King, everyone. Thank you so much. My hero. Thank you. Bless you. Take care, Billy Jean. Have a great dinner. Bye. You too. Thanks. Coming up, speaking of rackets, who's making that infernal noise? If you listen to this podcast, you already know the answer to that. (laughs) It's Mailbag Captain Crinkle Edition. Coming up next. Fun fact, Maine is the only state that has a one-syllable name. But don't tell that to people who live in Tallahassee, Flirt. <laughs> hey, it's just me, Paula Poundstone. Yes, from Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. And the recently released comedy album, Paula Poundstone Goes to College for One Night. Wait, you've never heard of the recently released comedy album Paula Poundstone Goes to College for One Night? How is that possible? It's available on all digital platforms worldwide. That means all over the world. They listen to it to loosen things up at the UN, I think. 
It was recorded originally for an HBO special, but this is the first time it's available as an album. I talk about sex, so that part goes quick. I talk about jobs, cats, health, and trying to figure out life. But the best part, the very best part, is just plain talking to the audience. Paula Poundstone goes to college for one night. Available worldwide. No more of this America first shit. And we're back. And Paula, I think you probably suspect what's happening here already, right? I think I do. We spent so much time gabbing with our new best friend, Billie Jean King, that we no longer have time to cram mailbag Captain Crinkle edition into this week's show. So that's something for everybody to look forward to next week. That's going to pull a lot of people up short. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we, we wanted to include every Billie Jean King moment that we possibly could uh, because, whoo, whoo, what a great woman she is. Yeah, and, and as you said, we're not done with her yet. If we could get her back here, maybe kidnap her and have her be on the show every week, I would be in favor. But uh, since we're skipping ahead from Mailbag, Paula, I want to know from you, is there anything developing in the Poundstone product empire this week besides the development of plush dolls? Adam, here at Poundstone Industries, also known as Lipstick Nancy Incorporated, we are in the spirit. We just had our company holiday party, and I made every employee a basket of expensive chocolates. You should have seen the looks of surprise and gratitude on their faces. Those chocolates were the homemade Butterfingers Bonnie Burns made with her kids from two years ago. And those were looks of surprise and gratitude. They were, oh my God, I'm gonna barf looks. Happy employees make for happier customers. And speaking of happy customers, if you can't find my book, The Totally Unscientific Study of the Search for Human Happiness, at your local bookstore, you can find it at the shop on my website, paulapoundstone.com. It's available in paperback and on CD. You can order a Poundstone Pussy Pillow for the cat in your life. It's a four by five and a half inch catnip stuffed handmade pillow with a cat joke on one side and I'll autograph it to your cat on the other side. Plus, it features a metal grommet so you can tie a string to it and drag it around for your cat to get a little workout. And I can't tell you how happy I am to be back on stage in front of live audiences again. There's something about a night of cheek-hurting, ab-tightening, inhale-delaying, incontinence-risking laughter among a gathering of human beings that is one of the absolute joys of life. So until you can find a night like that, come see me on stage near you. <laughs> Check out the tour page on my website, paulapoundstone.com. Come vaccinated and masked because killing my audience is bad for business. Plus, I love you. Adam, there's more, but you know, Heidi. Yes, and Heidi, I hate to add to this, but, you know, Christmas is coming, and the one thing you don't want to hear on Christmas morning as you look at your tow-headed progeny sitting there looking all glum and morose and you ask them what's wrong, what you don't want to hear is this. But, Mother, where is my copy of Confessions of a Puppet Master by Adam Felber with Charles Band? It was supposed to be an entertaining look, at Hollywood and the B-movie industry, with ever so many stories, with people you'd recognize as well, and yet I find no such present under the tree. <laughs> I fear that Christmas is ruined forever. Forever. 
So don't let that happen. Get confessions of a puppet master for your loved ones, for all of them, this Christmas. Subscribe to this podcast. You know, I was tearing up, Adam. Oh, yeah? It was, yeah, oh, heavens, yes. It was a, a Dickensian Christmas that you described. Yes. It was a Christmas of the future. Unless you act now to save yourself from that fate. <laughs> All right, subscribe to the podcast. It's free. You get it every week at no charge. And if there's a subject that you want to know more about, tell us at nobody listens to Paula Poundstone at gmail.com. That's also the address where you can just bitch at us about stuff. That's our show. Nobody listens to Paula Poundstone is hosted by Paula Poundstone and yours truly, Adam the Felber. Special thanks to our guest, Billy Jean King. Yay! And to our house band, Rajnar Vajra. Yeah. yeah, you can give it up for Rajnar. Thank you. Our show is produced by Paula Poundstone, Adam Felber, Bonnie Burns, Ken Lezebnik, and Tony Anita Hull. Star Burns production by Lan Romo. Poundstone Industries production by Vic Lowry. Thanks to the voice talent of Paul Matlock. Transcription services for the show provided by TranscribeMe, a premier internationally used transcription service. Use code Paula Poundstone when placing your order at transcribeme.com to receive an expedited service. Tony Anita Hall did not use solipsistic three times correctly <laughs> in this episode, so unfortunately, oh, wow. we will not be able to give dollars worth of advertising to Loyalty Bookstore inside Willow on Upshur 843. Upshur Northwest in Washington, D.C. It's a damn shame, too, because we would have loved to have given dollars worth of advertising to Loyalty Bookstore inside Willow on Upshur 843, Upshur Northwest, Washington, D.C. If you're in D.C., stop by Loyalty Bookstore and tell them we tried. That's our show for tonight. Won't somebody please listen to me? You are, uh, Really setting up yourself, cruising for a bruising there on the ping pong tournament stuff, Paul. Oh, well, Billie Jean King says she's not good at ping pong. That's yeah, that's what she says. But you know, <laughs> you know how she said she researches everybody. So yeah. she figured out that if she told me that she wasn't good, that then I probably wouldn't really go through all the steps of preparing that she talked about in her matches. And then probably she would just make short work of me. Well, I'll tell you what. She'll be ready for that sneaky surf of yours. Yeah, exactly. Two can play at that game, Billie Jean King. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you something. What? Not even going to invite her. Oh, sh she'll know when it is now. You've already invited her. She's going to do her research. Even if she doesn't get I I'm confident she's going to be there. She'll probably hide in the shrubs and spring out at me. <laughs> yeah. She'll probably sneak in and... You know, we always put the names in a hat to choose doubles partners, and she'll probably sneak in and put her name in the hat. Well, so oh, yeah. wait a minute. Who, who is this? Billy Jean King? <laughs> Maybe she'll use a pseudonym. Probably. King Jean Billy? Wait. Hold on a second. Take that false nose off for a minute. Obama did that once to get into a game here. Snuck in. Couldn't believe it. I know, I remember you said, are, are you President Obama? And he said, well, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> A, podca <clears throat> A podcast network.